0: It is good to be here tonight, and um, um, I love Kyle. There's no other way to say it but that. And um, I didn't have Kyle Alpha when I was going through University of Alabama Huntsville. How many of you have heard me before? Did you raise your hand? Great! I can tell all my stories again. I don't have to. And so um, I am from Huntsville. I was raised in church, church kid, and um, did not uh, surrender to Christ when the Holy Spirit convicted me of sin at age 12 and 13. And so, um, hard to my heart, did not uh, uh, surrender to Christ until um, July 1970, two months after I graduated from high school and uh, two months before i matriculated as a freshman at uah and so i had uh, no uh, christian support there uh, just my family which could not relate to my situation and so uh made it through uh UAH, uah was a very tough school back then don't know what it is now we always got a big kick when alabama and auburn students would transfer to uah and do the same amount of work the first semester they've been doing, making A's, you know, at, at those, those schools. And, um, come out with C's. And they'd buckle down and they'd do just fine, but uh, they had to learn. It was a new world there. And so I made it through and, um, uh, uh served God, tried not to be a preacher. I, I was, a, I didn't want to do that, want to make a lot of money, give God a lot of money, buy God off, keep a lot of money. And, um, uh, but, um, that wasn't God's plan. So finally surrendered and uh, went to seminary out in Springfield like um, uh, Chris said. Chris, is that right? Okay, great. And um, and so I um, did not know anything about Chi Alpha through my first pastorate, so I'm sitting one day in my office and I get this horrible flyer newsletter from Al Baker at Chi Alpha in Alabama. And, uh, I mean, it was... Um, just, you know, quality was not there, not his strength. But uh, he was a great kind of campus pastor. But I had prayed for one of my co-workers for years in Huntsville, one of my supervisors. And uh, he had a little boy named Michael. And um, uh, Marty never got, never came to Christ, but uh, um, he, 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 he he, he paid me a great compliment once. He said, I hope when my son grows up, he's just like you. All my witnessing, that's all I ever got from Marty. But prayed for him for years, for his family. And in that first flyer from Chi Alpha, uh, uh, Al had uh, scribbled a note. Hey, I think you know one of our students. His name is Michael Wilhelm. And uh, he says you worked with his dad, Marty, in Huntsville. Uh, and he's been a part of our group now for a few months, and so uh, at that moment, God bonded my heart to kyle Alpha, and I have uh, never looked back. So, spoken at um, a plenary session for One Salt many years ago. How many of you were in kyle Alpha in 1993? Did you raise your hands. So, no. Oh. So. And so I have been around a while, and I've never been actually a member, but I have told everyone when I retire, I'm going to enroll in one class every semester at a campus near me that has Chi Alpha, and you have to let me in. Doesn't matter if I'm 80 years old, and I'm really you know, just killing the vibe of the whole group. I'll sue you if you don't let me in. Ageism is not appropriate. And so um, I love Chi Alpha, and it is good to be here tonight. Boy, we just think the world of uh, Justin and Joy. And uh, he's, Justin's just an awesome Chi Alpha campus pastor and district uh, or network Chi Alpha director and uh, chairman of the Chi Alpha um, uh, committee. And so I uh, hope he's having a, a, a refreshing learning experience out there in L.A. Uh, and so look forward to having him back. So tonight um, uh, thought and prayed, and I thought to go with something um, that's really important. Uh, the spirit formed conscience. Is your conscience properly formed to make the right decisions? So um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for these students. We thank you for these who have come out on this night in this place because they love God because they sense you tugging at their hearts whatever the reason they're here they're here and we thank you for each and every one of them you know our hearts all of us you know who we are better than we know ourselves you know what we need better than we know ourselves and we depend upon you tonight father by your holy spirit speak to our hearts and change our lives make your word come alive in our hearts guide us in all we say and do give us clarity to Receive liberty to deliver the word of God. We thank you father in Jesus name Amen Spirit-formed conscience is your conscience properly formed to make the right decisions Well, we all think we have All the wisdom we need to make good decisions and there's a way that we can know that we do so we don't come here that way my grandson Levi Levi is not as innocent as he looks. Grandparents are the most easily fooled of all, but you know that. And so, uh, and for years, you know, I told uh, all the grandparents in my congregation, you know, you don't have a clue. You think they're little angels. You want to interfere with your kids raising those grandkids. You know, you raise your kids, let them raise the grandkids. If you don't know what's going on in your grandkids' life, ask the children's pastor. I gave him a hard time. The day that my youngest son announced the imminent birth or, or the, 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 the news that he and his wife were expecting their my first grandchild from the platform, I was sitting as a guest out there. He got the words out of his mouth one split second before catcalls started from all over the congregation behind me. All right, we're watching you now, Dr. Sharp. All at once they were talking over each other, you know. We're going to see. You're going to eat your words. And God did give me a test because he actually gave me a grandson who, by all objective standards, is exactly like what those other grandparents thought their grandkids were. And it doesn't matter how reserved or objective I am when I describe him, I sound just like them. And so Levi did not come here as an angel. At age five, he was corrected for cheating in games. He's way too smart for his own good. Corrected for cheating in games. He'll cheat whatever he was playing. It didn't matter. And so my son, who is a minister, he said, Levi, you can't cheat. It's like lying. Lying is wrong. And he says, but I might not win if I don't cheat. Levi's conscience did not bother him at all. All that mattered was winning. It was fine to cheat. It got him what he wanted. Victory! His conscience was not properly formed. You know, Levi didn't see anything wrong with it. and He needed to be informed. He needed to be made new in his mind on some things. He needed the truth shared with him. He needed to be transformed. And we come here that way. And we work on that all of our lives. In this letter tonight, we're going to read from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 of Primary Scripture. Paul's getting ready to go to Rome for the first time in the late 50s A.D. There's been a church in Rome for many years. In A.D. 49, Emperor Claudius had expelled the Jews from Rome, including Jewish Christians. And the church there was predominantly Gentile by the time the Jewish Christians returned from four to six years later. And some tensions developed between Jewish and Gentile believers, including how you get in and stay in God's people, the church. Would Gentiles have to follow the law of Moses? Would Jews have to follow the law of Moses? What would inform and renew and transform their consciences? And Paul had just written the first 11 chapters explaining and exalting God's long plan that was leading up to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in chapter 12, he begins to explain how Jesus' followers, people from all nations and all ethnic groups, Would be able to know what God wanted and make good decisions in their lives? What would inform them and what would guide them? How would they live lives pleasing to God? How would they live together as God's renewed people? Would they still have to follow a lot of specific rituals in in order to be clean and in order to please God? Or would something else also be going on instead of that? And Paul writes and tells them they no longer have to follow ritualistic parts of the law, but they're going to serve God by following the moral parts of the law written on their hearts by the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit enables them to understand truth from error and good from evil. And so they were going to be given a spirit-formed conscience formed by God's Word and God's Spirit and God's people. In Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, The apostle writes, therefore, and when you see that word in scripture, therefore, you need to have read what came before that because it led right up to this moment. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. And so Paul writes passionately to these Roman believers. He speaks to them of God's great mercy in saving them through his son. And he speaks to them about... The fact that all of the ritual of the Old Testament that went before, not the moral law, that's still applicable, but the ritualistic parts that went before, such as the sacrifices of animals and so forth, that has all now been fulfilled in the perfect life, and the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And they're now to live as followers of Jesus, as people who themselves are dead to sin and crucified to the world, and they're to live a life of people who are alive in Christ, because what happened to them when they said yes to Jesus and no to sin, the Holy Spirit came into them, and they were born from above, born again, and they became living stones. They became individual temples of the Holy Spirit, and the people of God in local bodies became temples and dwelling places of the Holy Spirit. They're alive in Christ, and the way they worship. God is not only when they gather together around the Lord's table and hearing the Word of God and singing praise to God, but every act in their lives is to be an act of worship and service and devotion to the true and the living God. And that was a revolutionary thought. It wasn't that way in all the religions of the empire at all. And so Paul writes to these Gentiles and these Jewish believers and says, this is how you worship God now. It's not primarily a big event alone you don't go to just one place like the Jerusalem temple or definitely not to a pagan temple, but you gather together on the Lord's day. You gather around the table of the Lord. You hear the word of God. You worship God. You receive prayer and you have the Holy Spirit moving among you, but you go forth from that place with living water and living bread, refreshing you. And wherever you go, whatever you do is to be an act of worship to the true and the living God. Wherever you go, you're a a, a, an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's ambassadors. What's the name of this, this thing we're in here tonight? Chi Alpha. Christ's ambassadors. We are representatives of the Lord Jesus who is alive in and through us by his Holy Spirit. How does this happen? How do they know how to please God and represent Christ wherever they go? They know it because they're going to re- be receiving renewed minds, a spirit-informed conscience to know what pleases God. How do they know? What's wrong, what's right? Have they been truthfully informed or misinformed? uh, Stop for a second and think about what they were going out into. It's even worse than what we go out into today. They were Roman Christians living in the great city, Rome. And as they traveled its streets and worked their jobs, every day, they're pressured to participate in the idolatry of the guild that they're a part of. whatever skilled, whatever guild, they're pressured to participate in the idolatry of that guild, that trade, that craft. They're pressured to sacrifice to the family's patron goddess or the household gods of that family. They're invited to step into the brothel that they pass every day on the way to work. They're offered easy money to smuggle some goods past the tax collectors at the docks there in Rome. They're given a free pass to watch gladiators slash each other to a bloody death. And when a friend offers his slave girl to a Christian man for some quick and free sex, which literally every man and woman in in Rome knows is every man's right, they're pressured to participate in all of that. They're pressured to expose the, the the Christian wife, the new believer in Jesus who is already married and when her husband is not a believer, she's pressured many times to expose the newborn baby and leave it out overnight to die because money is tight and the man wants sons and the baby is a girl. Christians are under pressure in that empire. How do they make good decisions? How do they know We cannot do that. Many of them are new to Christ. And they have to live every day making decisions. And it's the little decisions that make the big decisions for us before we ever get there. The message paraphrase says in Romans 12.1, So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life—your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life—and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Your spiritual act of worship. You know, when I was a young Christian, I just out of high school, I didn't think I had much I could offer to God. I couldn't sing. Couldn't play, couldn't dance. I was an extremely shy guy, really totally like introverted. Could not speak before people at all, whatsoever. And I think I, I thought I had nothing to offer. And a lot of people feel that way, they really do. And uh, God tells us some, a couple of wonderful things. Number one, the most important ministry that we can ever engage in is the ministry of prayer. And everybody can pray. And you can pray until you're old and gray, like me. You nothing is going to prevent that ministry. That's the number one ministry that every one of us had. And number two, we can all offer whatever we do up to the Lord. Whatever job we have, whatever task we've been given, whatever we're doing, we can offer up. That as an act of worship to God. That's what God says. And so we can all do that. And in this pagan empire today, how do we know how to live? How do we know right from wrong in so many of the things we face? Paul said, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world because this world is putting pressure on us. The culture, the principles of the culture, the precepts of the culture many times now, and the power of sin in our uh, uh, our culture, our networks, our friends, even in our own hearts sometimes, putting pressure on us to conform. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Paul tells these new Christians, first of all, stop being molded more by the ways of your culture and this present evil age than you're molded by Christ. And when he says pattern of this world, that word is Ionias. it's age. It means this present evil age that's passing away. It's going to put pressure on you. Whatever culture you're in, wherever you're living, wherever you're from, there are things in there that are not like what Jesus wants. They're not like the principles of the kingdom of Jesus. And here again, the message is a help in verse 2. 12 says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And that happens to every one of us if we're not careful. I used to use this illustration and somebody told it to me. Every one of us, every one of us, we don't realize it. We've got Filters inside these ears and lenses behind these eyes that change everything that is coming into us. And those filters and lenses were constructed by the way we were raised, by our families of origin, and by our subcultures. And some of those things distort the reality God wants us to know. And the only way to change that out is to get into the Word of God. And begin to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying there. Man's fallen way of thinking and feeling and prioritizing and evaluating and buying and judging and living. We have to be very careful. We don't just buy into that because many times we're being sold a bill of goods. A little at a time, one link at a time, chains being placed around our neck, around our feet. We have to make sure that we evaluate it according to the Word of God. And so, Paul is telling these people, stop letting anything but God, by his word and his spirit and his people, form your conscience. Don't be conformed. Don't be pressed into the mold. You can't just be passive and go with the flow. You have to resist. You have to press in to the things of God. God, the Holy Spirit, renews your mind through the word of God by his own action as the spirit and through the people of God. He forms our minds so that we may think clearly and see clearly. Holy Spirit uses God's Word, God's Spirit, and God's people. And Paul says, stop letting the principles of this age and this atmosphere we live in form you and conform you. Whatever's getting in and however it's getting in, pride, rebellion, greed, anger, obsession, independence, selfishness, unforgiveness, strife, division, rebellion, immorality, hatred, bigotry, violence, jealousy. If it's not according to the word of God and the spirit of Christ, we have to push back against it actively. We do. Lest it take root in us and bear bad fruit. Now, my conscience may be well-formed in one area. I may have a great work ethic, and I may be very honest with money, but I may be malformed in another area, the way I mistreat others. And so I can't just pick and choose what I want to be and do. I have a Word of God and a Spirit of God that are working on me to be like Jesus. I can have a conscience that's callous in one area, but tender in another area. And I've got to make sure that I'm not letting this world callous me. Now, it it happens when we start, when we we start not paying attention to what we're doing. Not paying attention to what we're thinking. When I was growing up, I worked in construction with my dad to pay for college. My parents didn't go to college, they didn't have money. Mom graduated in the 10th grade and uh, her graduation certificate was a marriage certificate. And dad, um, he graduated from high school, and he wanted to be a carpenter and construction worker all his life. And that was great. He he was great at it. And I had to do that as well to save money for college. And when I was growing up, I did work around the farm. I did work uh, on the job. And I played hard in the pastures, in the trees. You don't want to hear about my pastoral experience in that sense of the word. But... I would develop such huge calluses when I was a teenager and being a country boy one of the things I like to do and you know that's dead skin you got no nerves in that you can't feel anything what I like to do is I like to take pins and needles and just push them through all of my calluses and show them to my city cousins and city friends. That's awful, isn't it? That's a horrible illustration, isn't it? I didn't feel a thing. It grossed them out. I said, Won't you try it? And they would hurt themselves one time, then they got wise. But that's what calluses are you, you don't feel the pain, the nerves are gone, you're deadened. And that's what happens to our conscience when a little at a time we keep rubbing up against that which is not godly, that which is not right. We begin to callous our conscience. It may come in through television or gaming or music or internet or books. It may come through family members or friends or co-workers and it may begin to really endanger our souls our lives and endanger the people that we're in friendship and relationship with. I can develop a callous conscience, small decisions and behaviors that gradually build up a callous place. I can't let that happen. Pretty soon I'll be thinking that what I'm doing is just fine because I don't feel bad about it. It's all good. I don't feel bad at all. My scale of values and goods and evils is just fine. I can judge for myself what's and on. I have no conviction over doing this thing. I don't feel bad or guilty about it at all. And I can get to the point where no matter what the Word of God says to me, or a Christian friend, somebody loves me, it it won't bother me. It won't matter to me. I'm perfectly at ease spending more money on my cable television bill than I give to ministries of compassion to the poor. I'm perfectly at ease hating Alabama fans and, and, and hating Asians, and I feel good about that. Before I know it, nothing bothers me that should bother me because I've been conformed to the pattern of this world. I am being discipled by my culture or my subculture more than I'm being discipled by Jesus. And to be perfectly honest, in the past couple of years, we have seen that much of the church in America has been discipled by their culture in one way or another than they have by Christ, Jesus, and the principles of the kingdom. And so, the lies of culture are always going to push back against the truth of Christ. And we may be claiming to follow Jesus, but being more discipled by something other than Christ. One of the great wonders of the New Testament church was that in all, all of this great empire with, with all of the, the different ethnic groups, the ethnoid, the people groups, there was a lot of hatred and violence. There, there was a lot of uh, of. of Uh, um, rioting and that kind of thing in the great empires of the city as the enclaves of ethnic groups from various parts of the empire would gather together and live together and they might even have different uh, uh, trades that they would try to monopolize, but the hatred and the suspicion would erupt in violence. They didn't worship the same gods most of the time. They, They didn't have the same customs. They didn't have the same priorities and they were suspicious and full of hatred and violence many times toward one another. And one of the things that impressed pagans was the fact that the Christians were from all these different ethnic groups. And they weren't worshiping their unique gods anymore, but they were worshiping one god together. And they were gathering together, and they were loving one another, and they were supporting and caring for one another, even though the groups they had come from were hating and fighting one another. They were gathering around what they call the table of the Lord in fellowship at a meal, which was a big deal. And they said they were doing that, the Christians said they were doing that, because Jesus, their God, had spoiled the house of the strong men. Now that's old-fashioned language for what Jesus said. And what he said was, I have bound the enemy, and I have taken what he had captive in his house to be my own. And he was talking about the human beings that had been tyrannized by the principalities and powers, the evil spirits, who had manipulated them and incited them to hate one another, to dislike one another, and to try and dominate one another. And yet now, these people who had been delivered who had heard the Word of God and received the Spirit of God, were loving one another and living together as one new humanity in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was an an amazing testimony to the pagans in the empire. How could this be? It was because they had a renewed mind. They had heard truth from the Word of God. They had heard truth from the apostles. They had heard truth from the teachings of Jesus. And they had encountered the power of the Holy Spirit to convict them of their hatred and division and hostility and violence and to change them and to renew their minds so they loved one another. Culture pushes back And we see the we and principalities and powers push back. the devil don't give up without a fight. And we see that all around us. Are we going to push back? Are we going to make good decisions in our personal lives, in our group lives, in our destiny in God? And so, when we decide we need help, we know we have to turn to the Word of God, we have to turn to the Spirit of God, and we have to turn to the people of God. I cannot make my own mind up all the time without any help from anybody and without consulting what God Almighty has said. I have to hear what he said, and I have to learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. If I'm going to make wise decisions, I have to have my mind renewed on a regular basis. I have to have the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God helping me. If I stop hearing God's Word, I'll stop hearing God. And if I stop hearing from the Spirit of God and listening to the Spirit of God, I'll stop hearing God. Just because I think my conscience is clear, it may not. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.4, 4, and this is Paul the Apostle. He said, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord that judges me. There have been times in my life when I was fine doing something. But then, I read a little further in the Word of God. And I moved a little deeper into the presence of God, and I realized, that's not like Jesus. I cannot keep that up. That's got to go. That decision, that attitude, it's got to go. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's how the Lord evaluates or judges our hearts and minds and lives and makes us to see them by the Word of God. It pierces right to the core of the issue. This is how he renews our minds also. He washes our mind, washing of the water of the Word. He transforms our mind, and he continually creates in us a spirit-formed conscience. It It starts happening when we come to know Christ, and it keeps happening the rest of our lives, changed into the image of Jesus. That's why Paul wrote to the Romans. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. If I'm not careful, I'll think I'm hearing from God, and I'm knowing God's will just for what I feel. Or what did God say once about the human heart? Desperately wicked above all things. Feelings are some of the last things I can trust. When my feelings are in an uproar, if I'm really passionate and I'm hating something or I'm really loving something or I'm really terrified of something, I'm more subject to deception then than any other time. And that's when I need the Word of God and the Spirit of God burned into my heart and the people of God speaking into my life around me. Because they may be thinking, they probably are thinking a lot more clearly than I am. If I'm really loving something, really hating something, or really terrified of something. And so, I'm going to be able to test and approve what God's will is, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a destiny, whether it's a job, whether it's a move, whether it's a major life change. If I have been eating and drinking the Word of God, I've been in the presence of the Spirit of God, and I've been hanging with the people of God. It's an ongoing process. It's the renewing of our mind, being made new continually by the Word and the Spirit of God. I'm going to have to be informed by that. It says my mind's renewed, my conscience is properly formed that I can discern right from wrong as I humbly learn and obey God's Word. It's only trustworthy, my conscience is only trustworthy to the degree that my mind has been transformed and renewed by God's Word and Spirit in the community of God's people. Some of us have to learn that the hard way. I had to a few times, right after I came to the Lord, and, but that's my own fault. If I hear the word of God and I obey it, and I press into the spirit, and I remain solid with the community of God's people, that I am going to make far fewer bad decisions. Psalm 119 verse nine, How can a young person stay in the path of purity by living according to your word? I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes. As one rejoices in great riches, I meditate on your precepts, and I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees and I will not neglect your word. Is my mind and my conscience growing more like Christ, more tender toward God? Am I making wise, cross-honoring choices? Do I have spirit form conscience? It really, at, at the end of the day, is going to be up to me. You know, my Chi Alpha leader, my Chi Alpha campus missionary, pastor, of CMIT, They cannot force me to do right. My mom, my dad, the people I love, they cannot force me to make good decisions. I'm going to have to make a choice for myself. Am I going to read the Word of God, meditate on the Word of God, press into the Spirit of God, and be faithful in the community of God so that I can be changed and my mind can be washed and cleansed and cut and encouraged and conformed to the image of Jesus because that, at the end of the day, is what it's all about. It's wonderful being led by the Spirit of God and to experience supernatural ministry of the Spirit. That's a good thing. And, and I've experienced a lot of that in my life. And I cherish that. I, I, I treasure that. I, I, I'm kind of, you know, I'm raised Southern Pentecostal. And so, you know, I'm like that, what is it, the Alpha Insurance guy or Farmers Bureau? I don't know. You know the thing where this outlandish accident occurs? But it's a true story. And the guy says at the end, we know a few things because we've seen a few things. I have seen some stuff. Some wild and crazy stuff. I mean, uh, now my wife is like fourth generation Assemblies of God, uh, Pentecostal, etc. Four generations of spirit-filled life. Going back to 1914, one of her great granddaddies was at the founding of this this fellowship we're a part of. I'm from North Alabama. Some of my people came from Sand Mountain. One of my great granddaddies was a snake handling preacher on Sand Mountain. I don't have that gift. I never met that man. And I'm not a part of that. Is that not a good illustration? (laughs) There's some crazy things that happen in this world. But in being led of the Holy Spirit properly that other stuff is not proper. But. The, what God is trying to do even in the miraculous ministry of the spirit is conform my heart to Jesus to purify my heart and conform my mind to Jesus i close with this one illustration of the supernatural ministry of the spirit that was given to try and try, try and convict someone who is headed in a horrible direction preaching one sunday morning when we built a new building, we were in a tent for some time. I'd never been a tent evangelist, but I was a tent pastor for three and a half years while we built the building. And one morning, I'm up on the platform, and I'm praying after worship. And I'm praying and praising God, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says to me, you tell them, this sounds outlandish, it should have happened, you should have been on the receiving end of this. You tell them, Immorality in the hospital bed will not be tolerated. And I'm praying in, in front of a you know a tent full of people, and I'm saying and I'm praying along. And this is the way it is. If you ever want to be in ministry, say, you know, in, in a spirit-filled ministry, in a kind of alpha type or a prophetic ministry of some kind, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. This kind of stuff is going to happen to you sometimes, and it's not always fun. And I'm hearing that, and I'm thinking. That's crazy. That's nuts. So I'm praying and I'm leading worship and I'm saying that. I can't say that. And Holy Spirit says, you've got to say that. And I've said no. No. And I and at that moment I realized oh no. Because Two of the most important leaders in my church had been in the hospital the week before. One was an elder. One was married to one of our ladies who was an elder. And this was their first Sunday back. And I'm supposed to stand up here and say, immorality in the hospital bed will not be tolerated. No. No. But after 20 some odd years of following the Lord and trying to be led by the Spirit and trying to have my mind and heart conformed, I was made to know, yeah, you're going to say that. You don't work for them. You work for me. And I am their shepherd. And you have to say this. And I said that. Now Not many qualified it by saying that this does not apply to Brother James and Brother Tom. It does not apply to them. And then I just moved on. And about six weeks later, one of my, I was checking up on one of my young couples and she left him. And I said, I'm so sorry that she didn't come around. And, and he said, I know. He said, I told her when I found out. I didn't know what he was talking about. I told her when I found out. Don't you have any fear of God? This man was talking about his young wife. Don't you have any fear of God? Don't you remember what Pastor Sharp said? And I'm standing there, and I'm saying, what did I say? What did I say? What did I say? And I finally just was honest, and I asked him, what did I say? You remember, immorality in the hospital bed will not be tolerated. And she'd been hospitalized for a while with some mental issues, and sure enough, she had been unfaithful and decided to leave her husband. The gifts of the Spirit ultimately are designed to get our attention and conform us to the image of Christ. Conform us to the image of Christ. It's not about a, some kind of supernatural magic show. It is about the Holy Spirit seeking to exalt Christ, convict me of sin, and conform me to the image of Christ, or to comfort me supernaturally, and again conform me to the image of Jesus. That's the primary ministry of the Spirit, conformity to the image of Christ, so that my conscience will be a good guide and a trustworthy guide because it's filled with the Word of God, fired by the Spirit of God, Guided by the people of God. So, what do I have to remember in conclusion tonight? According to Scripture, I must never place complete confidence in my conscience alone, for alone it is imperfect. So Paul said it himself. Number two, I can only trust my conscience to the degree that I have been transformed by the renewing of my mind. I can only trust my conscience to the degree that I have been transformed or it has been transformed by the renewing of my mind, like we talked about. This renewal is a continual process of replacing selfish ways of thinking or worldly ways of thinking with godly ways of thinking as I mature in Christ. It's a lifelong process. I have a wife. I was twenty, she was nineteen when we married. Forty nine what year is this? Hey, what's said in here stays in here, all right? Fifty years, November twenty three. Fifty years, November twenty three. She is still helping me mature in Christ. And her conscience is more sensitive than mine. I'm not, a, I'm not finished yet. I can have a spirit form conscience through God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. And God will renew my mind and form my conscience to make wise and godly decisions if I will continually mature in Christ. my son and daughter-in-law and everyone else, all of us, the whole extended family, has continued to pour God's word into Levi's mind and heart. His mind is being renewed and washed and changed and we can tell he is growing a spirit form conscience. I am trying to do the same by making myself available continually to the word of God every day. To the Spirit of God every day and to the people of God more than every week. I am trying to do the same as my grandson Levi. Are you? We have to. No choice. God's will. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you even move supernaturally in our lives. You speak to us. You guide our steps. You give us supernatural insight, even knowledge. But it's always, whether it's the miracles or the 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 supernatural work of the Spirit, it's always so that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus, so that when we step out of our gatherings and we go to our home place and our school place and our workplace and our marketplace, wherever we go, we are spirit filled ambassadors of Jesus. And we can say what it, what is implied in That teaching of the image of Christ being transformed, conformed, formed into the image of Christ. We can say it. We are here to represent Jesus in character and in the power of the Spirit. There is a King coming and His name is Jesus. And I am here to represent Him. This is why you move in us by your Spirit so that we can go out and say that. in In integrity and authenticity and transparency and power we can say, if you want to see Jesus, watch my walk. It won't be perfect, but you will see a power in a person that I'm being made into. Thank you, Lord, that You transform our minds and our conscience to make the decisions that exalt you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God loves you. God is for you and he is not against you. Like I've always told my congregations, God's against any and every sin in my life and yours. But he is not against me, and he is not against you. He's for you. And he's for making you to be more ever more like his son Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Troy Kyolpha podcast. For more information about the ministry of Troy Kyolpha, you can look us up online at Troykyalpha.com. You can email us at Troykyalpha at gmail.com or find us on Facebook social media at Troy Chi Alpha. Thanks for listening. It is good to be here tonight, and um, um, I love Chi Alpha. There's no other way to say it but that, and um, I didn't have Chi Alpha when I was going through University of Alabama Huntsville. How many of you have heard me before? Did you raise your hand? Great. I can tell all my stories again. I don't have to. And so um, I am from Huntsville. I was raised in church, church kid, and um, did not uh, surrender to Christ when the Holy Spirit convicted me of sin at age 12 and 13. And so um, hard to my heart, did not uh, uh, surrender to Christ until um, July 1970, two months after I graduated from high school and uh, two months before I matriculated as a freshman at UAH. And so, I had uh, no uh, Christian support there, uh, just my family, which could not relate to my situation. And so, uh, made it through. Uh, UAH, UAH was a very tough school back then, don't know what it is now. We always got a big kick when Alabama and Auburn students would transfer to UAH and do the same amount of work the first Semester they've been doing making A's, you know at at those those schools and um, Come out with C's and they'd buckle down and they do just fine, but uh, they had to learn it was a new world there and so I made it through and um, uh, uh, served God tried not to be a preacher I I was Didn't want to do that want to make a lot of money give God a lot of money buy God off keep a lot of money and um, uh, but um, that wasn't God's plan. So finally surrendered and uh, went to seminary out in Springfield like um, uh, Chris said. Chris, is that right? Okay, great. And um, and so um, didn't I did not know anything about Chi Alpha through my first pastorate. So I'm sitting one day in my office and I get this horrible flyer newsletter from Al Baker at Chi Alpha in Alabama. And, uh, I mean, it was... Um, just you know, quality was not there, not his strength. But uh, he was a great for campus pastor. But I had prayed for one of my co-workers for years in Huntsville, one of my supervisors, and uh, he had a little boy named Michael. And um, uh, Marty never got, never came to Christ, but uh, um, he he. he, he he, he paid me a great compliment once. He said, I hope when my son grows up, he's just like you. All my witnessing, that's all I ever got from Marty. But, prayed for him for years, for his family. And in that first flyer from Chi Alpha, uh, uh, Al had uh, scribbled a note. Hey, I think you know one of our students. His name is Michael Wilhelm. And uh, he says you worked with his dad, Marty, in Huntsville. Uh, And he's been a part of our group now for a few months. And so, uh, at that moment, God bonded my heart to Chi Alpha. And I have uh, never looked back. So, spoken at a plenary session for One Salt many years ago. How many of you were in Chi Alpha in 1993? Did you raise your hands? So, (laughs) no. So... And so, I have been around a while. And I've never been actually a member, but I have told everyone, when I retire, I'm going to enroll in one class every semester at a campus near me that has Chi Alpha, and you have to let me in. Doesn't matter if I'm 80 years old, and I'm really, you know, just killing the vibe of the whole group. I'll sue you if you don't let me in. Ageism is not appropriate. And so um, I love Chi Alpha and it's good to be here tonight. Boy, we just think the world of uh, Justin and Joy. And uh, he's, Justin's just an awesome Chi Alpha campus pastor and district uh, or network Chi Alpha director and uh, chairman of the Chi Alpha uh, committee. And so I hope he's having a a, a refreshing learning experience out there in LA. Uh, And so look forward to having him back. So tonight, I thought and prayed, and I thought to go with something um, that's really important. Uh, The spirit-formed conscience. Is your conscience properly formed to make the right decisions? So um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for these students. We thank you for these who have come out on this night in this place because they love God. Or because they sense you tugging at their hearts. Whatever the reason they're here, they're here. And we thank you for each and every one of them. You know our hearts, all of us. You know who we are better than we know ourselves. You know what we need better than we know ourselves. And we depend upon you tonight, Father. By your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts and change our lives. Make your word come alive in our hearts. Guide us in all we say and do. Give us clarity to... Receive liberty to deliver the Word of God. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Spirit-formed conscience. Is your conscience properly formed to make the right decisions? Well, we all think we have all the wisdom we need to make good decisions. And there's a way that we can know that we do. So, we don't come here that way. My grandson, Levi... Levi is not as innocent as he looks. Grandparents are the most easily fooled of all, but you know that. And so, uh, and for years, you know, I told uh, all the grandparents in my congregation, you know, you don't have a clue. You think they're little angels. You want to interfere with your kids raising those grandkids. You know, you raise your kids, let them raise the grandkids. If you don't know what's going on in your grandkids' life, ask the children's pastor. I gave him a hard time. The day that my youngest son announced the imminent birth or, or the, 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 the news that he and his wife were expecting their, my first grandchild from the platform, I was sitting as a guest out there. He got the words out of his mouth one split second before catcalls started from all over the congregation behind me. All right, we're watching you now, Dr. Sherp. All at once, they were talking over each other, you know. We're going to see. You're going to eat your words. And God did give me a test because he actually gave me a grandson who, by all objective standards, is exactly like what those other grandparents thought their grandkids were. And it doesn't matter how reserved or objective I am when I describe him, I sound just like them. And so Levi did not come here as an angel. At age five, he was corrected for cheating in games. He's way too smart for his own good. Corrected for cheating in games. He'll cheat whatever he was playing. It didn't matter. And so my son, who is a minister, he said, Levi, you can't cheat. It's like lying. Lying is wrong. And he says, but I might not win if I don't cheat. Levi's conscience did not bother him at all. All that mattered was winning. It was fine to cheat. It got him what he wanted. Victory. His conscience was not properly formed. You know, Levi didn't see anything wrong with it. And he needed to be informed. He needed to be made new in his mind on some things. He needed the truth shared with him. He needed to be transformed. And we come here that way. And we work on that all of our lives. In this letter tonight we're going to read from Romans chapter twelve, verses one and two of primary scripture. Paul's getting ready to go to Rome for the first time in the late 50s AD. There's been a church in Rome for many years. In AD 49, Emperor Claudius had expelled the Jews from Rome, including Jewish Christians. And the church there was predominantly Gentile by the time the Jewish Christians returned from four to six years later. And some tensions developed between Jewish and Gentile believers, including how you get in and stay in God's people, the church. Would Gentiles have to follow the law of Moses? Would Jews have to follow the law of Moses? What would inform and renew and transform their consciences? And Paul had just written the first 11 chapters explaining and exalting God's long plan that was leading up to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in chapter 12, he begins to explain how Jesus' followers, people from all nations and all ethnic groups, would be able to know what God wanted and make good decisions in their lives? What would inform them and what would guide them? How would they live lives pleasing to God? How would they live together as God's renewed people? Would they still have to follow a lot of specific rituals in in order to be clean and in order to please God? Or would something else also be going on instead of that? And Paul writes and tells them they no longer have to follow ritualistic parts of the law, but they're going to serve God by following the moral parts of the law written on their hearts by the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit enables them to understand truth from error and good from evil. And so they were going to be given a spirit-formed conscience formed by God's Word and God's Spirit and God's people. In Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, The apostle writes, therefore, and when you see that word in scripture, therefore, you need to have read what came before that because it led right up to this moment. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. And so Paul writes passionately to these Roman believers. He speaks to them of God's great mercy in saving them through his son. And he speaks to them about... The fact that all of the ritual of the Old Testament that went before, not the moral law, that's still applicable, but the ritualistic parts that went before, such as the sacrifices of animals and so forth, that has all now been fulfilled in the perfect life and the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And they're now to live as followers of Jesus, as people who themselves are dead to sin and crucified to the world, and they're to live a life of people who are alive in Christ, because what happened to them when they said yes to Jesus and no to sin, the Holy Spirit came into them, and they were born from above, born again, and they became living stones. They became t- individual temples of the Holy Spirit, and the people of God in local bodies became temples and dwelling places of the Holy Spirit. They're alive in Christ, and the way they worship. God is not only when they gather together around the Lord's table and hearing the word of God and singing praise to God, but every act in their lives is to be an act of worship and service and devotion to the true and the living God. And that was a revolutionary thought. It wasn't that way in all the religions of the empire at all. And so Paul writes to these Gentiles and these Jewish believers and says, this is how you worship God now. It's not primarily a big event alone you don't go to just one place like the Jerusalem temple or definitely not to a pagan temple, but you gather together on the Lord's day. You gather around the table of the Lord. You hear the word of God. You worship God. You receive prayer and you have the Holy Spirit moving among you, but you go forth from that place with living water and living bread, refreshing you. And wherever you go, whatever you do is to be an act of worship to the true and the living God. Wherever you go, you're a a, a, an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's ambassadors. What's the name of this, this thing we're in here tonight? Chi Alpha, Christ's ambassadors. We are representatives of the Lord Jesus who is alive in and through us by his Holy Spirit. How does this happen? How do they know how to please God and represent Christ wherever they go? They know it because they're going to re- be receiving Renewed minds a spirit-informed conscience to know what pleases God How do they know? What's wrong? What's right? Have they been truthfully informed or misinformed? uh, Stop for a second and think about what they were going out into. It's even worse than what we go out into today They were Roman Christians living in the great city Rome and as they travel the streets and work their jobs every day They're pressured to participate in the idolatry of the guild that they're a part of. whatever guild, whatever guild, they're pressured to participate in the idolatry of that guild, that trade, that craft. They're pressured to sacrifice to the family's patron goddess or the household gods of that family. They're invited to step into the brothel that they pass every day on the way to work. They're offered easy money to smuggle some goods past the tax collectors at the docks They're in Rome. They're given a free pass to watch gladiators slash each other to a bloody death. And when a friend offers his slave girl to a Christian man for some quick and free sex, which literally every man and woman in, no, in Rome knows is every man's right, they're pressured to participate in all of that. They're pressured to expose the 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 christian wife the new believer in jesus who is already married and when her husband is not a believer she's pressured many times to expose the newborn baby and leave it out overnight to die because money is tight and the man wants sons and the baby is a girl christians are under pressure in that empire how do they make good decisions how do they know we cannot do that. Many of them are new to Christ. And they have to live every day making decisions. And it's the little decisions that make the big decisions for us before we ever get there. The message paraphrase says in Romans 12:1. So here's what I want you to do: God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him, your spiritual act of worship. You know, when I was a young Christian, I uh, just out of high school, I didn't think I had much I could offer to God. I couldn't sing couldn't play, couldn't dance. I was an extremely shy guy, really totally, like, introverted. Could not speak before people at all, whatsoever. And I think, I I thought I had nothing to offer. And a lot of people feel that way. They really do. And uh, God tells us a couple of wonderful things. Number one, the most important ministry that we can ever engage in is the ministry of prayer, and everybody can pray. And you can pray until you're old and gray, like me. You you, nothing is going to prevent that ministry. That's the number one ministry that every one of us had. And number two, we can all offer whatever we do up to the Lord. Whatever job we have, whatever task we've been given, whatever we're doing, we can offer up that as an act of worship to God. That's what God says. And so we can all do that. And in this pagan empire today, how do we know how to live? How do we know right from wrong in so many of the things we face? Paul said, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Because this world is putting pressure on us. The culture, the principles of the culture, the precepts of the culture many times now. And the power of sin in our uh, uh, our culture, our networks, our friends, even in our own hearts sometimes putting pressure on us to conform. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Paul tells these new Christians, first of all, stop being molded more by the ways of your culture and this present evil age than you're molded by Christ. And when he says pattern of this world, that word is ionios, it's age. It means this present evil age that's passing away. It's going to put pressure on you. Whatever culture you're in, wherever you're living, wherever you're from, there are things in there that are not like what jesus wants they're not like the principles of the kingdom of jesus and here again the message is a help in verse 2 12 2 says don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking and that happens to every one of us if we're not careful i used to use this illustration and somebody told it to me every one of us every one of us we don't realize it we've got Filters inside these ears and lenses behind these eyes that change everything that is coming into us. And those filters and lenses were constructed by the way we were raised, by our families of origin, and by our subcultures. And some of those things distort the reality God wants us to know. And the only way to change that out is to get into the Word of God and begin to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying there. Man's fallen way of thinking and feeling and prioritizing and evaluating and buying and judging and living. We have to be very careful. We don't just buy into that because many times we're being sold a bill of goods. a Little at a time, one link at a time, chains being placed around our neck, around our feet. We have to make sure that we evaluate it according to the Word of God. And so Paul is telling these people, stop letting anything but God, by His Word and His Spirit and His people, form your conscience. Don't be conformed. Don't be pressed into the mold. You can't just be passive and go with the flow. You have to resist. You have to press in to the things of God. God, the Holy Spirit, renews your mind through the Word of God by His own action as the Spirit and through the people of God. He forms our minds so that we may think clearly and see clearly. Holy Spirit uses God's Word, God's Spirit, and God's people. And Paul says, stop letting the principles of this age and this atmosphere we live in form you and conform you. whatever's getting in and however's getting in, pride, rebellion, greed, anger, obsession, independence, selfishness, unforgiveness, strife, division, rebellion, immorality, hatred, bigotry, violence, jealousy. If it's not according to the word of God and the spirit of Christ, we have to push back against it actively. We do, lest it take root in us and bear bad fruit. Now my conscience may be well formed in one area. I may have a great work ethic, and I may be very honest with money, but I may be malformed in another area, the way I mistreat others. And so I can't just pick and choose what I want to be and do. I have a Word of God and the Spirit of God that are working on me to be like Jesus. I can have a conscience that's callous in one area, but tender in another area. And I've got to make sure that I'm not letting this world callous me. Now, it it happens when we start, when we we start not paying attention to what we're doing. Not paying attention to what we're thinking. When I was growing up, I worked in construction with my dad to pay for college. My parents didn't go to college, they didn't have money. Mom graduated in the 10th grade and uh, her graduation certificate was a marriage certificate. And dad, um, he graduated from high school, and he wanted to be a carpenter and construction worker all his life. And that was great. He he was great at it. And I had to do that as well to save money for college. And when I was growing up, I did work around the farm. I did work uh, on the job. And I played hard in the pastures, in the trees. You don't want to hear about my pastoral experience in that sense of the word. But... I would develop such huge calluses when I was a teenager. And being a country boy, one of the things I like to do, and you know, that's dead skin. You got no nerves in that? You can't feel anything? What I like to do is I like to take pins and needles and just push them through all of my calluses and show them to my city cousins and city friends. That's awful, isn't it? That's a horrible illustration, isn't it? I didn't feel a thing, it grossed them out. I said, will not you try it? They would hurt themselves. One time, then they got wise. But that's what calluses are. You, you don't feel the pain. The nerves are gone. You're deadened. And that's what happens to our conscience when a little at a time we keep rubbing up against that which is not godly, that which is not right. We begin to callous our conscience It may come in through television or gaming or music or internet or books. It may come through family members or friends or co-workers. And it may begin to really endanger our souls, our lives, and endanger the people that we're in friendship and relationship with. I can develop a callous conscience, small decisions and behaviors that gradually build up a callous place. I can't let that happen. Pretty soon I'll be thinking that what I'm doing is just fine because I don't feel bad about it. It's all good. I don't feel bad at all. My scale of values and goods and evils is just fine. I can judge for myself what's right on. I have no conviction over doing this thing. I don't feel bad or guilty about it at all, and I can get to the point where no matter what the Word of God says to me or a Christian friend, somebody that loves me, I, I, it, it won't bother me. It won't matter to me. I'm perfectly at ease spending more money on my cable television bill than I give to ministries of compassion to the poor. I'm perfectly at ease hating Alabama fans and, and and hating Asians, and I feel good about that. Before I know it, nothing bothers me that should bother me, because I've been conformed to the pattern of this world. I am being discipled by my culture or my subculture more than I'm being discipled by Jesus, and. To be perfectly honest, in the past couple of years, we have seen that much of the church in America has been discipled by their culture in one way or another than they have by Christ, Jesus, and the principles of the kingdom. And so, the lies of culture are always going to push back against the truth of Christ. And we may be claiming to follow Jesus, but being more discipled by something other than Christ. One of the great wonders of the New Testament church was that in all all of this great empire with with all of the the different ethnic groups the ethnoi the people groups there was a lot of hatred and violence there there was a lot of of, uh, um, rioting and that kind of thing in the great empires of the city as the enclaves of ethnic groups from various parts of the empire would gather together and live together and they might even have different Uh, uh, trades that they would try to monopolize but the hatred and the suspicion would erupt in violence. They didn't worship the same gods most of the time. They, They didn't have the same customs. They didn't have the same priorities and they were suspicious and full of hatred and violence many times toward one another. And one of the things that impressed pagans was the fact that the Christians were from all these different ethnic groups And they weren't worshiping their unique gods anymore, but they were worshiping one God together. And they were gathering together, and they were loving one another, and they were supporting and caring for one another, even though the groups they had come from were hating and fighting one another. They were gathering around what they called the table of the Lord in fellowship at a meal, which was a big deal. And they said they were doing that, the Christians said they were doing that, because Jesus, their God, had spoiled the house of the strong men. And that's old-fashioned language for what Jesus said. And what he said was, I have bound the enemy, and I have taken what he had captive in his house to be my own. And he was talking about the human beings that had been tyrannized by the principalities and powers, the evil spirits who had manipulated them and incited them to hate one another, to dislike one another, and to try and dominate one another. And yet now, these people who had been delivered who had heard the word of God and received the spirit of God were loving one another and living together as one new humanity in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was an an amazing testimony to the pagans in the empire. How could this be? It was because they had a renewed mind. They had heard truth from the word of God. They had heard truth from the apostles. They had heard truth from the teachings of Jesus. And they had encountered the power of the Holy Spirit to convict them of their hatred and division And hostility and violence, and to change them and to renew their minds, so they loved one another. Culture pushes back, and we see the we and principalities and powers push back. The devil don't give up without a fight, and we see that all around us. Are we going to push back? Are we going to make good decisions in our personal lives, in our group lives, in our destiny in God? And so, when we decide we need help, we know we have to turn to the Word of God, we have to turn to the Spirit of God, and we have to turn to the people of God. I cannot make my own mind up all the time without any help from anybody and without consulting what God Almighty has said. I have to hear what he said, and I have to learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. If I'm going to make wise decisions, I have to have my mind renewed on a regular basis. I have to have the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God helping me. If I stop hearing God's Word, I'll stop hearing God. And if I stop hearing from the Spirit of God and listening to the Spirit of God, I'll stop hearing God. Just because I think my conscience is clear, it may not. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.4, and this is Paul the Apostle. He said, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord that judges me. There have been times in my life when I was fine doing something. But then, I read a little further in the Word of God. And I moved a little deeper into the presence of God, and I realized that's not like Jesus. I cannot keep that up. That's got to go. That decision, that attitude, it's got to go. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's how the Lord evaluates or judges our hearts and minds and lives and makes us to see them by the Word of God. It pierces right to the core of the issue. This is how he renews our minds also. He washes our mind, washing of the water of the Word. He transforms our mind, and he continually creates in us a spirit-formed conscience. It It starts happening when we come to know Christ, and it keeps happening the rest of our lives, changed into the image of Jesus. That's why Paul wrote to the Romans. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. If I'm not careful, I'll think I'm hearing from God and I'm knowing God's will just by what I feel. Or What did God say once about the human heart? Desperately wicked above all things. Feelings are some of the last things I can trust. When my feelings are in an uproar, if I'm really passionate and I'm hating something or I'm really loving something or I'm really terrified of something, I'm more subject to deception then than any other time. And that's when I need the word of God and the spirit of God burned into my heart and the people of God speaking into my life around me. Because they may be thinking, they probably are thinking a lot more clearly than I am. If I'm really loving something, really hating something, or really terrified of something. And so, I'm going to be able to test and approve what God's will is, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a destiny, whether it's a job, whether it's a move, whether it's a major life change. If I have been eating and drinking the Word of God, I've been in the presence of the Spirit of God, and I've been hanging with the people of God. It's an ongoing process. It's the renewing of our mind, being made new continually by the Word and the Spirit of God. I'm going to have to be informed by that. And says, my mind's renewed, my conscience is properly formed that I can discern right from wrong as I humbly learn and obey God's Word. It's only trustworthy. My conscience is only trustworthy to the degree that my mind has been transformed and renewed by God's Word and Spirit in the community of God's people. Some of us have to learn that the hard way. I had to a few times right after I came to the Lord. and But that's my own fault. If I hear the Word of God and I obey it, and I press into the Spirit, and I remain solid with the community of God's people, that I am going to make far fewer bad decisions. Psalm 119 verse 9, How can a young person stay in the path of purity by living according to your word? I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes. As one rejoices in great riches, I meditate on your precepts, and I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees and I will not neglect your word. Is my mind and my conscience growing more like Christ? More tender toward God? Am I making wise, cross-honoring choices? Do I have spirit form conscience? It really, at, at the end of the day, it's going to be up to me. You know, my Chi Alpha leader, my Chi Alpha campus missionary, pastor, of CMIT, they cannot force me to do right. My mom, my dad, the people I love, they cannot force me to make good decisions. I'm going to have to make a choice for myself. Am I going to read the Word of God, meditate on the Word of God, press into the Spirit of God, and be faithful in the community of God so that I can be changed and my mind can be washed and cleansed and cut and encouraged and conformed to the image of Jesus because at the end of the day is what it's all about. It's wonderful being led by the Spirit of God and to experience supernatural ministry of the Spirit. That's a good thing. And, and I've experienced a lot of that in my life. And I cherish that, I, I, I treasure that. I've I, you know, raised Southern Pentecostal. And so you know, I'm like that, what is it, the Alpha Insurance guy or Farmers Bureau, I don't know. You know the thing where this outlandish accident occurs, but it's a true story. And the guy says at the end, we know a few things because we've seen a few things. I have seen some stuff. Some wild and crazy stuff. I mean, uh, now my wife is like fourth generation Assemblies of God, uh, Pentecostal, etc. Four generations of spirit-filled life. Going back to 1914, one of her great granddaddies was at the founding of this this fellowship we're a part of. I'm from North Alabama. Some of my people came from Sand Mountain. One of my great granddaddies was a snake handling preacher on Sand Mountain. I don't have that gift. I never met that man and I'm not a part of that. Is that not a good illustration? <laughs> There's some crazy things that happen in this world. But in being led of the Holy Spirit properly, that other stuff is not proper. But the what God is trying to do, even in the miraculous ministry of the Spirit, is conform my heart to Jesus, to purify my heart and conform my mind to Jesus. I'll close with this one illustration of the supernatural ministry of the Spirit that was given to try and, try, try and convict someone who is headed in a horrible direction, preaching one Sunday morning. When we built a new building, we were in a tent for some time. I'd never been a tent evangelist, but I was a tent pastor for three and a half years while we built the building. And one morning, I'm up on the platform, and I'm praying after worship. And I'm praying and praising God, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says to me, you tell them, this sounds outlandish, it should have happened, you should have been on the receiving end of this. You tell them, Immorality in the hospital bed will not be tolerated. And I'm praying in, in front of a you know a tent full of people, and I'm saying and I'm praying along. And this is the way it is. If you ever want to be in ministry, say, you know, in, in a spirit-filled ministry, in a kind of Alpha type or a prophetic ministry of some kind, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. This kind of stuff is going to happen to you sometimes, and it's not always fun. And I'm hearing that, and I'm thinking. That's crazy. That's nuts. So I'm praying and I'm leading worship and I'm saying that. I can't say that. And Holy Spirit says, you've got to say that. I've said no. No. And And at that moment I realized, oh no. Because Two of the most important leaders in my church had been in the hospital the week before. One was an elder. One was married to one of our ladies who was an elder. And this was their first Sunday back. And I'm supposed to stand up here and say, immorality in the hospital bed will not be tolerated. No. No. But after 20 some odd years of following the Lord and trying to be led by the Spirit and trying to have my mind and heart conformed, I was made to know, yeah, you're going to say that. You don't work for them. You work for me. And I am their shepherd. And you have to say this. And I said that. Not many qualified it by saying, this does not apply to Brother James and Brother Tom. It does not apply to them. And then I just moved on. And about six weeks later, one of my, I was checking up on one of my young couples. And she left him. And I said, I'm so sorry that she didn't come around. And, and he said, I know. He said, I told her when I found out. I didn't know what he's talking about. I told her when I found out. Don't you have any fear of God? This man was talking about his young wife. Don't you have any fear of God? Don't you remember what Pastor Sharp said? And I'm standing there, and I'm saying, what did I say? What did I say? What did I say? And I finally just was honest, and I asked him, what did I say? You remember, immorality in the hospital will not be tolerated. And she'd been hospitalized for a while with some mental issues, and sure enough, she had been unfaithful and decided to leave her husband. The gifts of the Spirit ultimately are designed to get our attention and conform us to the image of Christ. Conform us to the image of Christ. It's not about a, some kind of supernatural magic show. It is about the Holy Spirit seeking to exalt Christ, convict me of sin, and conform me to the image of Christ, or to comfort me supernaturally. And again, conform me to the image of Jesus. That's the primary ministry of the Spirit, conformity to the image of Christ, so that my conscience will be a good guide and a trustworthy guide, because it's filled with the Word of God, fired by the Spirit of God, Guided by the people of God. So, what do I have to remember in conclusion tonight? According to Scripture, I must never place complete confidence in my conscience alone, for alone it is imperfect. Also, Paul said it himself. Number two, I can only trust my conscience to the degree that I have been transformed by the renewing of my mind. I can only trust my conscience to the degree that I have been transformed or it has been transformed by the renewing of my mind. Like we talked about. This renewal is a continual process of replacing selfish ways of thinking or worldly Ways of thinking with godly ways of thinking as I mature in Christ. It's a lifelong process. I have a wife. I was 20, she was 19 when we married. 49, what years? Hey, what's said in here stays in here, all right? 50 years, November 23. 50 years, November 23. She is still helping me mature in Christ. And her conscience is more sensitive than mine. I'm not, a, I'm not finished yet. I can have a spirit-formed conscience through God's Word, God's Spirit, and God's people. And God will renew my mind and form my conscience to make wise and godly decisions if I will continually mature in Christ. My son and daughter-in-law and everyone else, all of us, the whole extended family, has continued to pour God's word into Levi's mind and heart. His mind is being renewed and washed and changed, and we can tell he is growing a spirit form conscience. I am trying to do the same by making myself available continually to the word of God every day to the spirit of God every day and to the people of God more than every week. I am trying to do the same as my grandson Levi. Are you? We have to. No choice. God's will. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you even move supernaturally in our lives. You speak to us. You guide our steps. You give us supernatural insight, even knowledge. But it's always, whether it's the miracles or the the, the supernatural work of the Spirit, it's always so that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus so that when we step out of our gatherings and we go to our home place and our school place and our workplace and our marketplace, wherever we go, we are spirit-filled ambassadors of Jesus. And we can say what it what is implied in Jesus That teaching of the image of Christ being transformed, conformed, formed into the image of Christ. We can say it. We are here to represent Jesus in character and in the power of the Spirit. There is a King coming and his name is Jesus. And I am here to represent him. This is why you move in us by your Spirit so that we can go out and say that. And in in integrity and authenticity and transparency and power, we can say, if you want to see Jesus, watch my walk. It won't be perfect, but you will see a power in a person that I'm being made into. Thank you, Lord, that You transform our minds and our conscience to make the decisions that exalt you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God loves you. God is for you, and he is not against you. Like I've always told my congregations, God's against any and every sin in my life and yours. But he is not against me, and he is not against you. He's for you. And he's for making you to be more ever more like his son, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Troy Chi podcast. For more information about the ministry of Troy Chi you can look us up online at Troykyalpha.com. You can email us at troychialfa at gmail.com or find us on Twitter. Social media at Detroit Alpha. Thanks for listening.